Hello and welcome to Rule of Carnage. Uh, this is a series of recorded conversations between myself, Mike Hutchinson, a game designer, and uh, this chap, Glenn Ford, also a game designer. Um, we are talking, as we always do, about the craft of designing better miniature games. Um, Glenn, have you been designing a miniature game recently and would you like to tell me about it? I have, and I think I will. All right, um, excellent. <laughs> so I think we'll do a little, a little set of conversation about what we're working on at the moment. So um, okay. a game I'm working on at the moment um, is, well, at the moment I'm, call, I, I'm calling it Crash TV at the moment. Um, and what's unusual about this beastie is that it is a co-op uh, miniatures game. So it's a post-apocalyptic TV show i think ages ago i showed you like a handwritten version of this and i've come back to it and i've you know kicked it around a bit because it wasn't in a good shape gentle listener i recall the glen before the word processing era which was weirdly about four years ago for me <laughs> um so yeah i still have a um a handwritten uh you know a4 line sheet yes. for this. Uh, and i remember you game. being funnily enough post-apocalyptic tv show though glen hmm. <laughs> Well, funnily enough, so I I had had this idea, and then he's going to claim precedence. Gentlemen. I mean, oh, are you claiming precedence the idea of post apocalyptic death <laughs> death TV shows that yep. you, that you yep. like secretly prior to Running Man and, and uh, yeah, exactly. and all that. Okay, so I, I mean, even Car Wars, like the main competitor. One Let's of the be funny, real here. One of the funny things is I wrote this game and then I, for some reason, I, I put in a bunch of like um, more party game and dexterity game mechanics. I thought it would appeal to you and you hated them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, eh, fine, you know, whatever. And I, and I stuffed it in a, in a folder. And then I was sort of, I, I've been pitching around and somebody asked for some co-op miniatures games. So I pulled this thing out and I was like, okay, this is actually a, a cool, interesting idea. Um, so the one of the central parts of the meat of the idea is this is a co there's a cooperable pickup miniatures game. So you can turn up with your sort of little built guy, uh, and you can find a scenario, and then you play co-op to to get through the particular scenario. Um, so it has a few principles. First of all, um, you have a little bit of um, uh, action programming at the start of each round. So you use normal deck of playing cards for random number generation and uh, movement programming. And you stack those cards and you flip them and each turn you put a new card on the bottom. So you've got a couple of cards sort of pre-programmed and they designate how you're going to move. And you've got basically guns that affect the other player. Um, and mostly they allow you to move through obstacles if they hit you. When you move, you leave a sort of little after effect behind you. And so long as something hits between the first point of the after effect and your final position, it counts as hitting you. So the idea of that right, is... Right, so it's sort of like Takeshi's Castle meets Tron vibe going on. So, it's, yeah, so it's something about that. So basically it boils down to you've got to get to these points around the tabletop and mm. deactivate them. They have barriers that you can't pass through. So the only way you can pass through those barriers is by moving in the direct in the way of the shot that's coming in from the other player and that shot will pull you through the barrier so you can then 
in, interact with the thing that you need to turn off. So the idea is you're basically you're running. So, along. so you're so you you're blind programming, blind from each other programming moves, but you still have to choreograph something. Exactly. Yeah. So you there it has a, a limited communication rules of so like during the programming phase, you can say things like. I'm, go I'm going, uh, I'm moving early north, and that's about all you're allowed to say. And then the timing of the card, the, the, the number on the cards is when you go in the particular turn. And so the idea is, so like one guy will have like a grapple gun that essentially fires a little parachute and a grappling hook into you. So it pulls you towards him in the air. So you go over obstacles and there's a blast aversion, lots of people away. And then there's a little phase gun and a disintegrator. And so you need to figure out what the other person's doing. Because you, if you fire your grappler, it doesn't hit them. It's completely useless. And if they move before or after you thought and you don't get the shot. So it's about coordinating physical movement on the tabletop between two players with limited communication in a miniatures tabletop game. So that's what I'm kicking around at the moment. Um, it's interesting because so the, that sound that sounds like because we're gonna. I think we'll probably have another conversation uh, rather soon about whether or not you can design randomness out. Does randomness make a strong feature of this game? Because it feels like um, it feels like whether or not the sh the like grappling hook with the parachute hits the opposing player should be 100% down to our communication and skill and 0% down to did I roll a, a five up on a dice? Uh, yeah, so it has, it doesn't have a lot of randomness um, in it. Certainly, so for example, when you hit somebody with a grapple gun, the distance they get moved is dependent on the card that you used to fire the grapple gun with. So that one's like pre-predicted. But one of the guns is the disintegrator that just destroys obstacles, but it destroys mm -hmm. an obstacle a random distance from you. So that requires way less coordination, but it might just be totally useless because it would just, it would be disintegrating somebody at, at something outside of the studio and things like that. So there is some randomness in it. There's not a massive amount of randomness. Um, and also because it's the I think the main point is because it's a it has a little bit of programming when you get damaged in the game you lose a card off of your programming stack and if you lose too many cards you are flipping cards and being randomly programmed so you have like a stack of two cards at the start of the game every time you get hurt by something you discard one of those cards off you can take actions to stack extra cards if you lose that stack, instead of using your pre-programmed stack cards, you flip a card randomly off your deck of cards and that programs you for that particular turn. So you can gain control again if you can get like a bit of a rest and, and program again. So that's one point because in my opinion, every programming game should have the potential for a point where you're just blundering around in, you know, completely. There's always the potential for you to miss your programming and just end up running into a wall like a complete buffoon um but also if you if things go badly wrong enough wrong you are going to just absolutely robo rally it into a corner and and cry so that is the main bit so of there's so are there like are there like lasers and traps and things that can take health off you presumably and you can so, from things if you do it wrong or yeah so if you fail to sort of make the uh the bits you've got to get to work they electroshock you and that 
electroshock goes up e each time you fail and if you run into a wall because you misjudged your programming that hurts you and at the moment i'm trying to so now i'm trying to figure out alternative shows because crash tv for uh, for for those of us who were digital gaming back in the 90s is a definite reference to smash tv the classic um twin stick shooter and i want to be able to do a thing that has a bit of like there are creatures around and you've got to kill the creatures um but i'm trying to figure out a way of doing that that requires coordination but is still fun and kills a lot of things so at the moment so there's a few things coming together in my brain it might be because of the sequence of conversations that we're that we're putting together as uh, this month um so one thing that i'm really intrigued about and i'm wondering how you're tackling this because it sounds to me like um the the puzzle element of trying to get to that central thing through the barriers and stuff like you're going to have to design that level you're going to have to tell the players how to lay that thing out right is that do you provide a little map for like where the objectives are and where the barriers are and of what type they are or do you let them just set the puzzle up for themselves so that i mean so that's that is a that is a very interesting question so on one of the first iterations there were a set of frankly quite complex very logical and and machine language appropriate rules for laying out a series of these barriers to create um a, a growingly difficult level so it started like with a few barriers and each turn you put in sort of more barriers and it would get more and more complicated and mm. you'd use more and more of your your shots to get around it um and then i've been going back and forth through this process saying okay what level of difficulty does it create where you say okay there are like five of these nodes on the table in basically a, a, a number five figure and each of them has walls around them and fundamentally to get through one wall you need to coordinate with another person a set of angles and lines you know whilst moving i think i think this is this is where it's interesting it's like if because i think i can immediately see a couple of different directions you could take this like from a product design perspective it's like is this actually is this actually like a small set of rules with a lot of puzzles and each of these like you know we basically roll at random or we choose the next puzzle and it's like well we've completed you know 12 of the 30 different puzzles that glenn has laid for me and you've essentially you've asked me to create four or five pieces of um predictable terrain and maybe you've even provided the like silhouettes of them so I can cut them out and make sure that I, when I stick my matchboxes on top of them, they're the right size. And then you provide all the layouts because that would be much more like a kind of like a casual mobile game or something where like once you've learned the key mechanic, that's cool. And then just the application of those mechanics gets more and more devilish in its in its subtlety or its irritation. Because the problem is if you just lay them out in the same way and sort of let the players continue to enjoy that, it'll be like, you know they'll just le they'll learn by rote essentially like the right selection of cards and there will just be an obvious solution but then in the other direction because because you've said you've said that it's a co-op game i sort of feel like there's an option that's maybe off the table which maybe could be on the table which is what if it was a four player game that was more like rocket league and like it's always you've got a box and i've got a box and we get a certain number of barriers that we can set up in whatever way we want and then me and you have to try and knock the other guy's boxes off and they're trying to battle and then we can, and then there's a sort of tug of war thing, base, a base defense thing. 
yeah um, could be fun yeah no at very much the the sorts of thoughts that i'm running, running through in this bit of sort of development so where i'm at the moment is that i think the i mean obviously figuring out how to make co-op work in a tabletop miniatures game is inherently i think sort of an interesting and tricky yep. um squishy little problem without having loads of like ai enemies and you're just killing off ai enemies and that was quite sort of central to me with this game i wanted it to be and there's nothing wrong with and that, that's why as you started to mention introduction of like enemies ele- aliens that you have to splat like i actually my heart sank a little bit like i mean i know that you probably tackle it in an interesting way but like that almost that almost depurifies the sort of the, the thing you're selling me no absolutely and and the, but the thing the thing that i'm trying to do the point of the aliens is that one all of your weapons are non-lethal so yeah. you've got like a, a grapple gun right so they become they become like semi-autonomous terrain so shooting someone with one grapple gun doesn't hurt them you need to shoot somebody with two grapple guns from different directions in order <laughs> to hurt them <laughs> yeah gotcha, it was gotcha, gotcha. yeah. hurt them and so the, the 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 enemies don't have any kind of like ai they walk mindlessly like in straight directions they don't really attack you well, maybe they just do guard pathing or something and it, and the question is it's like okay there's something fun about coordinating to try and both hit a moving object from two different directions like with guns when you're not allowed to communicate and there's a question of that's not smash tv the you know which is a game i do like and want to reference how much do i care about that how much do i want to have this different sort of fun in the game you know and so at the moment there's this little thing of like "Mm, okay where's the soul of the game you know going on and there is that i'm sort of in the middle of tweaking around those sorts of things and figure out those episodes but it's I'm liking it. It's fun. I think it does a cool thing. Um, and I'm enjoying um, knocking around some unusual ideas as I, I guess the, the, uh, the other thing, and this is less important. This is less important from an indie game perspective, but might be important to your perspective publisher slash just is interesting on uh, in general is like, how, how does that get me excited about the hobby aspects? Like in what ways, I'm not suggesting it doesn't, but like in what ways does it hook into my hobby urges? And is that one dude enough? Like, is there a campaign system so that he gets better? And like, why do I care about this one little mini and do I paint more of them? And do I have to bring special terrain? Like what's going on there? Like, how does this come yeah, to Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've, been, I've been having this conversation with somebody and it is a sort of, on the one hand, it is like like one or, you know, you're going to need like one or two sort of heroes, but they are not the usual minis that you inherently have in your collection. So there is the thing of, okay, well, we now have, you know, an option to provide people with a mini that they almost certainly don't have and and, and is a very specific individual. And there is, I, I, I personally think there's a value to, particularly indie hobby games that that try to get you to pick up one or two minis but they're one or two minis that you almost certainly don't already have um and yeah the terrain is another thing and figuring out you know a game that doesn't require a lot of big terrain but requires quite a lot of very simple you know four inch walls basically is another thing that's a tricky question and it's like okay well i mean I can happily provide you with a picture of a four inch wall and you can print out as many as you like and put them on the tabletop 
and then it's like I've been cutting up Warhammer movement trays because they have sort of a panelled appearance to them and they look a lot like the portal walls the, the, the walls from portal and I like the idea that you like in portal as soon as you go behind one of those walls it's all shonky and poorly mm. put together I like the idea that just on the edge of the tv studio it's absolute crap and you know looks terrible so though but yeah but figuring out figuring out product lines is a thing that is in my head at the moment about some designs which we might well have a little chat about in an upcoming yeah, that sounds good I also I also want to know like like is there any kind of list building in this and and how there is, is that yeah, there's a little list building because you've got two hands worth of stuff, one of which is oh. a weapon, one of which is like a utility ability, and you've got a set of stats thing. So we might. Really well, nice to get a peek behind the curtain, Glenn. Very yeah. interesting. That seems like a good place to take a quick break. A week or two ago, I think, Mike um, hit me up with an uh, email about a thing he's been uh, fiddling around with uh, called, for the moment, Berserker. It's currently called Berserker, yeah. Currently called Berserker. Um, so you, you sort of pitched this as um, several things. Uh, one sort of... <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the thing that we might talk about quite a bit in this conversation is the fact that it is a relatively random number generator free game. Uh, which is always interesting, I think, for for a skirmish game and, and making that interesting. Um, B, it's a solo primarily, if not only. At the moment, it's solo only. At the moment, it's solo only. Yeah. That's that's more about sort of you're like Doom guy or someone like that, and you've got hordes coming at you, and it's and it's mainly about like kill chaining together massive numbers of death right and, and actually the design like the initial kernel of the design challenge was is it at all possible for a miniatures game to feel urgent or exciting in that way that like adrenaline thumping first person shooters with a you know on a on a on a, a pc or a console are and almost certainly the answer is no but i wanted to just have a little run at that wall and see how much it hurts to try and make it work so that's where like a lot of the things for berserker emerged from like one is obviously i've been playing um doom 2016 recently absolutely loving it like the game design in that for me is like incredibly pure and focused um and the soundtrack is absolutely killer um but the the sort of experience of getting through a wave of enemies and the sort of rush of satisfaction having like completed that wave um, <clears throat> and the uh, experience of like bouncing from one monster to another, all of these things felt like something that would be possible to capture in a tabletop uh, game. And so I was trying to figure out like, what are the, and this, this is to a degree and a continuation of the thought process that I've been running through with Hobgoblin. It's like, how can I remove all of the impediments between like the, the 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 moving the miniatures and the like excitement of killing and the next like success and the next success? Um <clears throat> and so sort of the process was as with most of the game designs, it was like asking some questions and then chatting to some people. And so I was chatting to the blaster crew about this particularly and wondering about thinking back to like, if the thing that you do is kill monsters in a really cool way, then like, 
almost becoming like it's almost becoming like this thing where like if something is really cool that you do like why do you have to make a dice roll to to be cool why can't you just be cool and then build the game to make it difficult to be cool all of the time or as cool as you can possibly be all of the time and just let you struggle at that kind of meta thing so in this case the 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 game throws a ridiculous number of monsters at you that have some ai system that isn't brilliant yet but you know i'll go back and watch our episode on ai design and and, and make it better but the point is that you've got a, a very sharp timer on the game so there's like there's going to be sort of three turns and then the next wave starts another two turns and then the next wave starts and now like if you haven't killed anything there's probably like 40 models on the table that are all trying to kill you and you're definitely going to die and you start with maybe two or three activations per turn like action activation points but the point is that if you can successfully kill a monster you get an activation point and if you can successfully kill another then you get another and if you can glory execute them with some you know in some way that's really cool that you've set up then you get more action points and so this like kill chain that you set up where by killing you get to kill more then that's sort of like asking you like a almost like a pinball machine like can you wait for the pieces to come together in exactly the right way so that you can pinball from one thing to another using your weapons and your ammunition and swapping in the right way and setting up the right kills and it just felt like you know the basic problem of geometry which is a tabletop war game like this just came to life very immediately in my imagination of like oh okay creating kill chains requires ai enemies and you to eyeball the situation and certainly no pre-measuring and so forth yeah because i think I, and i think that's an interesting that last comment is a very i think interesting point there the no pre-measuring comment because i think that is one of the so the thing about like a, a video game like Doom and whatever is that you you have that feeling when you get into I think they call it flow state where you're mm -hmm. just you're you're hammering through things and the the game that I really enjoyed you know way back when for that was uh, Prince of Persia where you it was one of those early parkouring games and you yeah. you were getting it right and you're running down walls and back flipping back and forth and and it, and obviously also what game designers want to do for video games is occasionally put in these like brick walls so that you have that moment of the flow stopping so you know you have a a line to climb and a, a and, and something to get over and and a next step um and the thing is obviously tabletop games can't can't i i don't know i don't think they can give you that flow state thing just because they can't have the the speed you know they 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 may find it much harder to test things like dexterity and those sort of immediate visual spatial reasoning moments. i mean i think i think that is why although we bollock on a, about it a lot like i think that is why competitive malifaux was so intoxicating for me because i could lose you know an hour and 20 minutes in a competitive malifaux match and come out like a drained husk mm. of a man like with a dry mouth simply because of the act of like losing myself in the cognitive energies of this and that and this connects to that and these things connect to that and that cascades over there and that i think was very much a successful flow state that um and, sort of execution and i think funnily enough i think this isn't this links interestingly into the idea of no randomness because so in a previous conversation i was saying that one of the things that i don't like about tabletop mass battle games is 
the fact that you that you that you should and you should as a gentleman tell the other person if you're spotting something mm. visually that they haven't seen because that's felt like it's a sort of gentleman's agreement that information information tabletop games is meant to be like open information certainly the information about where things are on the tabletop and if i can see something you can't see and i know that you can't see it and i can see you doing things because you're unaware of my vantage point mm. It does actually, it sort of behooves me to say, look, I know that you think you're in cover there. I have to tell you, you're just not, you know, you just aren't. I can see that you aren't. And that often destroys a lot of the, what would be the tension in those games. Because what I want to do is when I want, I want to sit there going. Right. They, 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 move, they move it along that spectrum from pure competitive to collaborative narrative storytelling like mm. it's not a hundred percent swing but it's like okay we've agreed to slightly collaborate on this yeah and i think and, and what i want to do is i want to sit there going oh is he is he gonna see it is he gonna see it oh he's mm. not seeing it he's not seeing it yeah you know right like in a That's... game of chess or something when you set up a trap and it's like i'm not going to tell you that i've set a trap up like that's ridiculous yeah. but the thing because but the thing is the point obviously in chess it's definitely fair that he doesn't see your trap because he can see your trap he can definitely physically see it yeah in a tabletop miniatures game maybe it's not fair <laughs> chess with true line of sight let's <laughs> go write it <laughs> yeah but in a tabletop miniatures game it might be that it's not fair that he can't see your trap it might be that it's like well you know we, we should have given him the opportunity and i feel like a lot of the time those sorts of games in order to replace the tension of hiding things from your enemy at that point put in dice rolls because dice rolls give you tension oh am i going to manage to do this thing or not oh i'll have to roll the dice to find out is a moment of tension the question is how valuable a moment of tension that is um how much that sort of getting yourself out of do you know what i mean out of a out of a out of a corner um where you've maybe drained too much of the tension out in order to give a a sort of more gentlemanly experience at the table. That's, that's funny because where I where I imagined you were going with that as you as you opened that salvo was if you're in a flow state and you're experiencing like the sort of skill of of, of solving the puzzle, then there is potentially um, a really like handbrake moment where a random dice roll just kind of like pulls you out of that flow state because the random dice roll just goes like no you're not allowed to have fun anymore because the random die and it, it make it makes me think of like we both play a lot of uh, arkham horror the card game and when i play that on my own i take out the auto fail because i don't want that moment of like i'm having fun i'm having fun i'm having fun game says you're not having fun anymore like pack it up restart it like i just don't want it it doesn't it's always a negative experience in the middle of that game and so potentially if you're in the middle of something which is an enjoyable kind of flow statey type sort of and i mean this was part of the design imaginings for this game was like could you make it skill based in some way that's i mean you're, to a degree all of these games are skill based but like you know is there a way of amping up the skill by taking away some of the randomness but there's also maybe a relationship where it's like well the randomness is is getting in the way of my enjoyment because it's sort of it's it's sort of determining the pace in a way that might not be suiting what i'm currently experiencing and I think it's interesting because it's, I mean, what what this game, it, 
is doing, I think what it's doing is it's essentially building a sort of emergent puzzle. Because mm. the, 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 the one spot of randomness is where the monsters turn up. The monsters Yes, turn. you've got six spawn points and maybe ten monsters spawn, so you roll 10d6 and you position them around the portal that they just popped out of. Yes. Which is just simply because I can think of a better scenario, situation for that. And it could be that as we talked about in a previous conversation, like level design might be really a critical part of this because like in the history of Doom, like level design and Doom are, you know, they're very tightly linked. And so I'm also really intrigued about this of like, anyway, like finish your thought. I'll get to mine. Well, no, cause, yeah, because that is the question. Because at the moment it is a randomly emergent puzzle that occurs. Mm. You, you, you randomly generate where the monsters are going to turn up and then you've got a limited number of resources. You've got to get to a certain kill point through the monsters and you presumably sit there and go, okay, if I do that one, then that one, that'll be this many kill points. And I do that one, then that one, I'll cost me an action point and I'll get an action point back and then I'll get a kill state and a kill chain and that'll give me double action points and I can stun that monster and glory kill him and get double action points, which will let me go over to that group of monsters and do that until you figured out on the tabletop the in your head the whole sort of mental state of, yes, I can be an absolute badass watch me be a badass and then send about mm-hmm. badassing around the tabletop um and if that's like an enjoyable puzzle to solve what's interesting in a way is that yeah and so and so interrupting that with a failed dice roll would be a deeply unsatisfying moment i suppose the, the question the, the question ends up being is if i can sit there and look at the tabletop and mutter in my head and actually figure it out then the bit when I, if I go from that to then doing it on the tabletop, the doing it on the tabletop is right. busy work. Potentially, yeah. Because uh, there are no dice to be rolled. There's no question as to whether I'm going to succeed. You know, I could potentially look at the tabletop, sit there for five minutes and then go, yeah, I have in fact won. S- seen it. Yeah, I've seen the chess puzzle solution. Um, and I think, and that's one of the reasons randomness is is attractive because that way, with randomness no matter how hard i think i don't know until i discover that it it preserves the moment of exploration for me and Mm. it's why i think it's very interesting that you drop that no pre-measuring um statement into it because that is the that is the option where it's like i know people who for whom pre-measuring is essentially meaningless because <laughs> they can look at the tabletop and if they say it's x distance from something else it's that distance from something else right and and, th- and this game uses gasland templates and i don't think there are people who are using gasland templates enough to like perfectly eyeball them i mean but, but i yeah. have been in a point in my life when i definitely was but like the, the 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 design goal is as much as like gaslands was trying to say you know, you put the keep the templates on the table because I'm trying to simulate like twitchy decision making at high speeds, and you're never going to know exactly where you are. Like, I want this to be a first person shooter. Like, you don't have like total top down visibility of what you're up to. You can't really see where all the monsters are. Like, how to replicate that? It's almost like a fog of war. It's like a perspective. It's like I can't see everything, and I can't exactly judge distances and stuff. So, like, I think as I as I work as I continue to work on the design, like figuring out like what exactly the no pre-measuring um uh rule is and i think i think you're right like introducing 
intriguing moments of randomness that are just enough to stick a fly in the honeypot, but not enough to basically have the game tell you whether you win or not. I mean, because the thing I do when I play Arkham is um, if I get the, the, the red token, it doesn't go back in the bag until the end of the turn. All right. So I'm willing to accept the 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 the, the auto fail happening because I feel like that's the nature of Arkham, but I'm not willing to accept, you know, a, a twice top in the professor turn. trying to read the newspaper and just dribbling out of his eyes three times in a row. It's like once, yeah, fair enough, Arkham. That's an acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's acceptable if you just do it three times in a row so i just literally can't open the front door because i'm like oh no no one's having fun at that point. and i'm stuck in my house then you can you can absolutely do one um and i think the question is it's like randomness can be interesting and when when it's controlled in a very specific way and totally taking it out has that potential of finding those moments when the inaction on the tabletop if you see far enough ahead is potentially just like yeah i know all of this is happening i'm i'm sort of annoyed i have to move the stuff around now can't you just take my word for it i'll tell you what <laughs> i'll tell you what's going to happen i know what's going to happen and then i'll just move my guy to the far end of the table clear off everything between where he is in there and why am i having to go through the steps of taking off these things one at a time i've, I've done this in my head and it was fun in my head Mm. This is just like, and what's more is it's a solo game. So no one's even watching me do that. There's no way when I'm playing solo. If I've mapped it out in my head, I'm then moving the damn things around the tabletop. I'm sweeping the tabletop, putting him where I know it's going to be, and you can come and arrest me, you know, fun police. And it's it's so weird that it's so weird that the the random dice roll should be the difference between those two things because it, it certainly isn't for me. I mean, I know, like I was busily designing the game, but like. I'm much more of a pushing toy soldiers around type character. Like I genuinely take in like visceral sort of aesthetic and physical pleasure from just like moving the toy soldiers around. And to a degree, like the systems of combat resolution are there to facilitate like more moving around of toy soldiers. Um, but I totally understand. I totally understand where you're coming from. I think it's absolutely spot on in order to create a game that is actually satisfying for both sort of sides of that. Um, Potentially. Um, that derision of pleasure from like an, intellect, an intellectual assessment of the puzzle to a tactile exploration of the puzzle. Very likely to end up in Blaster at some point, because this is exactly the size and shape of a cool Blaster um, sort of micro game. Um, okay. But, uh, there's, but there's a whole other topic about like, this is one of those games that like, because it's got level design buzzing around in my head and because it's like a series of solo games, like, oh my God, I want to put a campaign system in this. Like I want it to be dripping in the campaign system. Like I don't, I don't even know that you can play it unless you're playing the campaign system. Like I think it has levels. I think it, I think it has a, I think it has a story mode. I think that's just what it is. And with that, we'll take a quick break. So, Glenn, tell us a bit about Pitch and Your Pitch and Your, which is a, which is a name that you hate, and I'm I'm willing to sort of. I mean, I don't I don't hate it. I just don't think it's good enough. I think you can do better. Um, I mean, it's so... called Pitch and Yar, for example. <laughs> Pitch and Yar. Um, so, ages ago, um, there's a TV show called uh, Black Sails, um, which is a really really cool pirate 
TV show. Um, and if you like piratey things, you should go watch it. And I really, really like piratey things. It's one of those, it's one of those things where whenever I see a game with a pirate theme, for some reason, I just I pick it up. I possibly because of Sid Meier's Pirates, which had a, a formative um, effect on me at an early age. Um, and so, also, Glenn lives quite near the sea. Also, yes, I, I live very near the sea, but I ne- live live near the, the the world of smugglers rather than pirates. Um, so, anyway, in the in the like the first episode of Black Sails, there is a prolonged uh, battle sequence, which is incredibly savage and brutal. Um, and one of the things that um, defines it is that people just get taken out by like swinging yard arms or falling debris and like the the best fighter is coming along he's obviously a real badass and then he just gets pff, turned into red mist by something smashing him into oblivion um and also there was a ps2 game i want to say it was called cold water and that had so it was a survival horror game but it was set on a tanker at sea and there were parts of the game where you were outside and like waves would come over the edge of the ship and you could get pulled off the edge of the ship and so the things that were attacking you were nasty but way nasty was if you were focused on them and then like a container uh shipping container just came from the side and just paffed you in into oblivion and so what i wanted to do at that point was design a pirate boarding action based game that was incredibly brutal first of all like people you get stabbed with a cutlass or shot with a flintlock pistol you're dead because you are dead at that point Mm. and also that simulated the fact that you were having a frantic desperate fight on a surface that is is pitching and yawing that is swinging from side to side you know at possibly a quite precipitous angle and where various unnailed down objects and it come swinging across the deck and possibly smash into oblivion and so I wrote this game quite a, quite a while ago um, and I knocked it around pitching for a little while and it didn't go anywhere. So it went into the ideas to sit in a folder folder. Um, and recently I've been kicking around the idea of finally just like of kickstarting um, some tabletop miniatures games of my own. And I felt like this was a good one to put out to the public it has sort of a lot of hooks that can attract people so I pulled it back out the folder and I'm going to be going back through it and, and fixing it um, and so there's a bunch of things I've been fixing in it um, first of all the original design was way too fiddly and complex um, annoyingly fiddly and complex um, and you know complexity is is a f- bug not a feature and simpler is better um, and I want this to be a fun, punchy game. I don't even understand the idea of not wanting something to be a fun, punchy game at, th- at this point. Um, and so I, I want it to be fun and punchy. And also, savagely brutal games have a very specific interest point. Mm. There is there is something very unenjoyable about just somebody running up and shiving you in the back of the head and you're just dead. Mm. And what I realised about Pitch and Yaw 
is that it's not black sails it's um pirates of the caribbean and not like pirates of the caribbean per se but that genre of um saturday morning serial old school pirate adventures where there's no blood you never see more like pratfall piracy well people get smashed clean off a ship yeah they're something that drink definitely has shattered every bone in their body and they Mm. never get seen again so they're definitely dead they're definitely dead in an agonizing unpleasant way but you don't see any blood and you you know it's it's the a-team version of 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 violence Mm. and so the game isn't about people getting stabbed and shot. And in fact, stabbing people and shooting them literally never kills them. It's about when you get hit, like by a, by a swinging in heavy object, you're just, you're, you're immediately removed. And if you Mm -hmm. go overboard, you're immediately removed, but nothing else kills you. And it's about making, so you have to do certain objectives. You have to go around the ship and you have to, because you're boarding and you're going to get whatever the manifest from this ship back onto your ship. So you've got to go on and you've got to search certain parts of the ship while the other person defends against you. Um, So it's more about shoving people out of the way of the thing that you've got to search. Hmm. And in return, the, the violence is much more about setting up a chain of events where I shove you in this direction. Somebody else shoves like, a shipping crate in the other direction so you line up like that and then the ship pitches and the shipping container goes and just obliterates you and that's how i kill you if i take you out because mm. that's to my so do mind you see it, do you see it a bit more as like a sort of physics puzzle and and do things do things um like collide and knock each other on is there like chain reactions of physics in it um so heavier objects can like path straight through something and if you're if something's on the far side of the ship when it tips it'll move further than things that are on the close side of the ship Mm. um so you can you can sort of chain slide several spaces like if you're up here whereas you'll only move like a relatively small amount down there and do you Um, know do you know in advance what the pitch or the yaw of the ship will be um you uh, there's basically a bidding system so you'll have to bid for the right to control which direction the pitch or yaw is going to go in um and if you if you draw the bid essentially it goes randomly and very big in one one sort of direction so you can so one of the things again we we've talked a few times on rule of carnage about um, having characterful um, random number generation and events like you, you know, if you're doing a Western, you should totally consider having playing cards as your random number generation. So in pitching your, there is a round of liars dice at the start of a round, just a sort of short little one. And the point is that the dice you have in the liars dice um, after that round, you can use to replace dice that you've rolled um, through the game. So it's a little control hand. And when it comes to the end of the round and the ship's about to pitch, any dice you have left in the in your Liars Dice Cup, you can put that in one of those in as your bid to control the pitch in your phase. Um, so you have the option to sort of hold back on these big dice because you really want to control that moment and have the pit, ship pitch in the right direction. Or you can choose to put those big numbers in to make sure that you achieve goals during during the actual turn 
Yeah, it's lovely, lovely, lovely mechanic. It's I yeah, I'm 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 happy because it's very it's very I think it's very characterful, it's very piratey, and it allows you to have sort of control and prediction in a dice-based game and it gives and it gives you that moment of reveal where it's like ha ha i did have the six oh, i any, can't believe you had a third six any anything that lets people bluff and read each other very specific like it's not enough to let people bluff, i think bluff and read each other and then nobody know that you've been bluffing or reading each other mm. i want a game to go right here's the moment that you show in their face that you were bluffing or reading them um, it's I was this is a bit of a tangent one of the things I least like about Magic the Gathering is at the end of a game of Magic the Gathering you've got to stop and go right no now I need to explain to you exactly why you don't know all the clever things that were happening because you didn't see my cards I've got to explain to you why what happened was as cool as it was mm. um, a game should ha- give you moments I think in the middle of the game that show you how cool what is happening is as it's going on and so have you got strong enough ways for players to bait the high numbers out of each other's liars dice cups well i one of the, i think one of the things i like about the idea of um liars dice is that it can make a, a really really bad dice roll can be a very very good liars dice dice roll um because if you have five ones in liars dice oh so you you can keep any number of dice and then reveal whatever you've left and be like it's three ones so so we no so we so we have a round of liars dice Mm. and if i win the liars dice in a way that you ask me to reveal my liars dice i then get to make my my stored dice better Mm. so it means that if i have five ones and I can win the liar's dice and get you to call me out on my ridiculous bid of like four ones or something. I can make those ones in some of those ones into sixes. Mm. So the liar's dice is a little way of having you pre-roll dice and make terrible rolls, potentially very very powerful rolls. Um, so, right, which is a, which is a cool reaction to the problem that we found during a billion suns, where we realised that when you create a battle board situation like in Saga or um, the um, Warhammer Quest games, but in a competitive environment, like rolling a bunch of junk is actually a really painful experience because the other player potentially just wins the round because they yeah. didn't roll enough high numbers. And because, hand. because in Liar's Dice, a set three ones beats two sixes in Liar's Dice. So... Mm having a really appalling dice roll in your Liar's Dice Cup is actually a very, very powerful dice roll for Liar's Dice. Mm. And because when you win the Liar's Dice round, you have the opportunity to tweak the numbers. It's a way of protecting you or or making things advantageous with a bad dice roll, which to a degree. So yeah, I think that's a fun extra thing. So I've been going through the process of like approaching a miniatures tabletop game design with a product uh a product design hat on which is interesting to me because i've done that obviously a lot of times with my non-miniatures game designs because Mm. i i kickstart things there'll probably be a kickstarter on kickstarter at the moment when this video goes live actually check it out check it out yes there might there might be a link in the comment section to it so 
but I've 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 come to the thing of going okay as you're designing your game have be aware of like product design concerns for non-miniatures games mm. designs with miniatures games designs I I've been for a long time a lot freer and just sort of ah this is amusing me I'll pitch it to other people I think they should think I'm a genius and see my brilliance but you know if they don't stuff them I can put some things up online because the great thing about miniatures, um, tabletop miniatures games is they can just be PDFs and so I can put things up online for free and who cares whether they're particularly attractive as product lines. Um, and the reason I picked of all my designs pitch in your is because, you know, you need like nine cool pirate models to play the game, you know. I'm assuming you're going to need like uh, some boxes and yard arms and stuff that move around as well yeah so yes you'll need some sort of crates i mean barrels you can represent various things one of the things about crates and barrels is that they they're potentially relatively easy to 3d print Hmm. um and so now it's the thing of going through uh figuring out one of the things that's been interesting from a game design perspective for me is that when designing the force lists it's more important to me which miniatures I can um, source for the potential Kickstarter campaign because I can write any force list that's not hard and I can make any force list interesting. What I can't necessarily do is source a whole bunch of uh, 3D sculpts at a reasonable price. Um, So life is a lot easier if I hunt out some pre-existing sculpts and use a and get a um, a, a merchant's um, license for for doing those sculpts, so it's been sort of hunting around and thinking, okay, that that makes a good, coherent, unique, interesting force visually on the tabletop. Now I'll go and write some rules that fit those models and those minutes. Um, it's a really it's a really interesting way round for the industry to allow us to operate at the moment like it's it doesn't it it feels quite new to be like able to go out and shop for that kind of thing as a creator of a game hmm. and be able to bring them back together because you know from from indie from indie to bigger budgets like the default for miniature games and for like video games as well as like you create original assets as part of the design work hmm. but here it's about assembling some external assets into a into a lovely coherent package. Yeah, it's it's a it's a Which very is kind of what war gamers do anyway. Like I'm, I mean, yeah, no, it's particularly even... magpie gamers like me who like assembling figures from lots of ranges. Yeah, it's a very very for me. It's a very interesting like idea and an interesting moment where right now I can pick up a bunch of three uh, D sculpts from you know, all over the internet um, that, you know, aren't particularly well-known or seen. I can um, get licenses to print them out and sell them. I can then have a 3D printing farm, print them out, you know, but on demand at a at a price per unit rather than an investment price. Mm. Um, you know, we've, we've kicked around the idea of doing books together and the price for printing softback books, and also interestingly, the price for printing softback books locally is that you know rather than in China or something like that is competitive. 
um, and obviously Kickstarter's there. So a lot of the things for putting together a game with a miniatures range, with a physical product, are in the reach of totally independent designers at the moment. Mm. And, and more of those things are coming in reach more and more. Um, I think it's really, it's really interesting. It's really, I, I obviously think it's incredibly interesting. I, and I'm, and I'm curious because I've, I've picked one of my, what I think is the most marketable idea of what, because one of the things I always say to anybody who kickstarts anything, and if you're thinking of kickstarting something, if you're a designer, the ideas should be relatively cheap. And there are some ideas that are more marketable than other ideas. And the best favor you can do for yourself is to pick the most marketable idea and then make it more marketable. And that is not selling out or anything like that. It's entirely justifiable to go, you know what? I, I like non-combative miniatures games. I've got a ton of miniatures. I've got a, a PG Woodhouse miniatures game design that I've written. I'm also not insane. <laughs> so I'm not, as my first Kickstarter project, going to put up a PG Woodhouse miniatures game. Now, I might I might be wrong about that. Um, there might be an incredible untapped market for it. And when I get to my second or third miniatures game Kickstarter, I'll be delighted for that to be the game. But the first one is going to be about pirates smashing each other in the face you know, on, on a wildly swinging ship, because that's just doing myself favours. I can write an interesting one of those, and I can write an interesting one of the others. I might as well write the one that's both interesting and easier to, to sort of pitch to the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, yes, so yeah, that's pitching, pitching your, something that I wrote was reflectively horribly complicated, in all honesty, on its first iteration, I've come back to it, stripped it down, made it faster, quicker, I think more fun, gone back to the things that the game was meant to be about um, and made those what the game is about instead of something else. Um, and something that, you know, is, I think, fairly sellable to the world at large. Um, and I'm thinking at the moment, uh, sort of, 2023 mid to late year Kickstarter for it should be well 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 achievable at this moment. Nice, he's committed. I don't well, yeah, committed. I, I, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be doing at least one Kickstarter next year, possibly two, maybe three at this point. So it's Man's fun. An addict. It's you know, it's yeah, it, it's fun doing Kickstarters. <laughs> um. Yeah, so um, if you are interested in a uh, pirate-based um, dynamic environment, um, asymmetrical, highly asymmetrical um, game, uh, check out the comment section below because there's going to be one <laughs> in that in a in a beta test version. Um, oh, in in reference to. The, the the availability of things for independent designers. Yeah, AI art programs. If you if 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 you haven't if you are an independent designer and you are like looking to put things on whatever war game vault or or itch or things like that and put them out into the world and you're struggling to make them look good. Goodness me, AI art programs at the moment are obscene um, in what they can do. I mean. I 
I've I've had a go and I I find the outcomes to be extremely weird and not to my taste but I also know how much full color illustrations cost and those are not an in you know those are those are a huge huge part like mm. the, by far the biggest cost in any of the small projects I've done and I I know that I assume you've taken a look at mid journey I don't know if everyone's mm -hmm. a fan of Midjourney at the moment. If you get the opportunity um, to check out the Dali um, uh, beta, um, because the thing that's super cool about Dali is you generate the image and then you're allowed to scrub out any bits that are weird looking oh. and ask it to regenerate the, the gaps. So a lot of the time, what happens with your AI-generated images is the face goes weird. With mm -hmm. Dali, you can just scrub out the face and tell it to have another go, and you usually get an it. So it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a way more efficient um, AI art awesome. generation program. Anyway, so if you want to take a look at... This was an excitingly meandering conversation. I enjoyed it. It went, it went a little bit wide at, at, uh, at, at, uh, at certain points, and I apologise for that. But anyway... If you would like to check out a pirate miniatures game with some AI generated art in it, um, that's in a beta test version, there's some really nice pictures that have come out of it. Um, uh, it's in a beta test version. I would like to um, give your opinions about it. Please do check out the comments section because there's going to be one in there. Um, while you're down there, please like and subscribe and say nice things about my game. Uh, and say nice things about us and say nice things about what sort of game you would like to see coming out from an independent designer within the next 24 months because then I can write it um, and that can be the Kickstarter of 2024. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think for now and from us and from this episode of Rule of Carnage it's probably going to be thank you and goodbye. So I'm going to say thank you and goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye.